Welcome to In the Clubhouse, a podcast about the Washington Nationals and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Richard. In this episode, I talk with Matt Wyrick, who covers the Washington Nationals for NBC Sports Washington. During the episode, we talked about the recent signing of left-handed pitcher and closer Brad Hand. So let's get into the clubhouse. Thanks, Matt, for joining me, and uh, welcome to In the Clubhouse. Yeah, thanks for having me, Richard. Good to be here. Cool. Um, so let's get right. Let's get started. Um, obviously, uh, last night the Nationals agreed uh, to terms with left-handed pitcher Brad Hand for a one-year contract worth ten point five million dollars. I kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on the signing. Yeah, definitely an interesting move for the Nationals. Not one we might have been expecting from them at this point in the offseason. It seemed like they might be zeroing in on uh, an infielder or another bat for the lineup. But ultimately, left-handed reliever was a need for them after Sean Doolittle departed as a free agent. And they opt to go with Hand, a guy who's a a three-time All-Star, been one of the best closers in baseball over the last five years now. He does have some declining velocity in both his fastball and his slider, his slider, which is his best pitch. So there are definitely some areas to be concerned for, considering he's going into his age 31 season. But he's definitely still a guy who you could say is in the middle of his prime and has been one of the best closers in baseball over the last five years. So to get him for only $10.5 million next year, uh, definitely qualifies as a steal for the Nationals. Yeah, and I was also, um, you know, reading on Twitter and other uh, websites that like the Mets were really involved in or trying to get him too. So that's also an added bonus, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Ken Rosendahl even at one point jumped the gun a little bit and reported that the Mets and Brad Hand had a deal done. So it looked like he was well on his way uh, right when DJ LeMahieu signed, and it was kind of like their response then. But ultimately, no deal worked out there. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword there. The Nationals get Hand and take him away from the Mets, which left-handed reliever is also an area of need for them. So Hand ultimately wanted to close, and the Nationals were willing to give him that opportunity. So he'll get the ninth in dc and, and we'll kind of go from there do you think um do uh which one call not do a little do you think hudson and hand kind of i don't want to say going hand in hand the puns are really bad but <laughs> yeah i mean i think that we could see hudson get the opportunity against maybe some more left-handed lineups Davey has never been a guy to shy away from that situation. He did it with Doolittle and Hudson back in 2019, and that was kind of the plan with Will Harris kind of in the mix going into 2020 before injuries and and struggles happened. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's the approach. Now, apparently Hand was told he would be the closer in Washington, so I don't know if he's going to get the exclusive ninth inning or not, but he's a guy who's, who's racked up, you know, 20, 30 saves almost every year the past five seasons, so... You know, he definitely takes pride in getting that ninth inning and getting those saves. So I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets at least coming into 2021 
kind of gets that sole ninth inning role. And then if he starts to struggle, particularly, you know, uh, against right-handers, then, okay, we start bringing in Daniel Hudson or Tanner Rainey or Will Harris. No, it's really interesting watching the Nationals uh, for a lot of years now, um, having the bullpen or especially the back of the bullpen kind of being an issue. Now you run into this really interesting situation where you have, in essence, three really good closers in Harris, D- Hudson, and Hand. So it's a, it, it seems like to be a unique uh, pr- uh, perspective for the Nationals to be in. Yeah, they've, they've definitely been up and down in terms of the bullpen in recent years. I mean, the reason they got Sean Doolittle in the first place was that that year they had no uh, relievers and, and they made a deal early to get him and Ryan Madsen uh, and, and a few other guys that year. Of course, we saw back in 2019 when they go and get Daniel Hudson and Hunter Strickland and Roannis Elias. So we've definitely seen years where they've had pretty bad bullpens. We've also seen years where they had pretty good ones. You know, we, we had Drew Storen. Uh, in town when Jonathan Papelbon was acquired and Storen was killing it in the ninth inning. The problem was the guys behind him really weren't doing all that well. So they brought in Papelbon and and demoted Storen, which ultimately proved to be his demise for his entire career. So, you know, they've had some years where they've had pretty good pitching from the bullpen and they've had some years where it hasn't been great. It's just kind of funny to see from a team that, you know, screams all about how it's built around pitching and pitching is what wins championships and it's a pitching first organization and it's had such you know uniquely bad bullpens in recent years but Mike Rizzo has talked about how he doesn't necessarily feel like he needs to go into every season with a complete bullpen how that's something that he doesn't mind addressing midseason because you know relievers tend to vary their production from year to year so you know you might be investing in a guy like Craig Kimbrell you know, just a couple of years ago when the Cubs signed him midseason, someone who you would think would be a very reliable closer. And he was just kind of having an off year because, you know, two, three, four appearances where you blow a save can really define a season, unfortunately, with, with how small sample sizes are for relievers. So, you know, you Rizzo likes to look at his team maybe a month or two into the season and then make decisions about the bullpen. That way he can work with, you know, okay, I know this guy over in Oakland is performing well, or okay, I know that, you know, this guy here probably isn't going to be able to be relied on the later innings, so I'll have to replace him. Do you think that this really spells the end of Doolittle's time here in D.C., or do you envision a scenario maybe bringing him back for a minor league contract or just having him, you know, on a lesser deal, but, you know, just having him in his back pocket just in case something, God forbid, happens? It definitely remains possible. It just kind of depends on if Doolittle's market really falls that far. There aren't a ton of left-handed relievers available in free agency right now, so my guess would be that Doolittle gets a major league deal somewhere. If he does have to settle for a minor league deal or something you know, really low, like two, three million, maybe the Nationals bite on that. Um, but you know, they, they acquire Sam clay earlier in the off season, a guy that they have talked about a lot as someone that they think can be a contributor. He's a lefty never appeared in the major leagues in his career. But, uh, I, I remember they touted this stat right when they signed him, he had, uh, in 20, between 2019 and 2020, he had the second highest ground ball rate in all of pro- American professional baseball. So he was in the minor leagues and, and using his ground ball rate was higher than everyone in the majors except for Zach Britton. Zach Britton was the only pitcher in all of professional baseball to have a higher ground ball rate uh, than Sam Clay last season. So while he hasn't made it to the majors yet, they see him being a fireman type, kind of what Daniel Hudson was when they first acquired him. Uh, as somebody who can kind of pitch in, be that that lefty 
They also signed Luis Avilan to a non-roster invitee uh, contract invite to spring training. So they're going to get a look at him in spring training as well. He'll have a shot at making the opening day roster. So they have a couple of lefties uh, that could make a case for the bullpen. Also, Seth Romero and Ben Bramer are on the 40-man roster as well. Guys that they maybe they see starting down the line but could move into the bullpen for 2021. It just kind of depends on you know how the team looks in spring training. But I wouldn't rule out Doolittle completely, but I'd say it's probably pretty unlikely at this point. Yeah, I really like Doolittle. He definitely added a lot of um, pizzazz and uh, energy to the team. Um, so let's maybe zoom out a little bit more here. Um, you know, overall, I wanted to get your thoughts on the move, offseason moves by Rizzo, signing John Lester, Schwarber, Bell, um, obviously bringing back Ryan Zimmerman. Just kind of like, what? Are, what is your gut feeling for 2021? Well, Mike Rizzo went into the offseason saying that the learners were, were giving him a, a budget to compete for a championship. And so far, they've shown that they're willing to spend more money than most teams. It hasn't been, you know, any any major contracts like we've seen, you know, George Springer or DJ Mayhew or anything like that. But we have seen the Nationals busy. They, they obviously acquired Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber to be, you know, those middle of the bat lineups. And if, if the two of them plus Soto can all hit 30 plus homers, it would be the first time in Nationals history that three players on the team at once hit 30 plus homers in a season. So the Nationals are looking to have a power element that they probably never had before, which is pretty interesting. But uh, John Lester, I thought he made a lot of sense as the number four starter. I saw you know, a lot of fans kind of unhappy that they got Lester saying, oh, he's old, he's washed. You know, he's not going to be the ace that he used to be. I don't think the Nationals need him to be the ace that they used to be, that he used to be. You know, they have three guys that they're paying a lot of money in Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin to be those aces at the top of the, of the rotation. And while it might have been nice to go out and get, you know, a Corey Kluber or something like that, somebody who could be an ace along with them, I think with Lester, all you really need are innings. You know, he, he gives you 200 innings every single year. He has his entire career. And, you know, when you have a guy like Strasburg coming off a major injury or Corbin, who you know has Tommy John in his past, or even Scherzer, who's had some ailments throughout the past two seasons. You know, you you might have to deal with some injuries here and there, and, and Lester is going to get moved up and have to be somebody who you can turn to just for you know six innings, four run ball, keep give the the team a, game, a chance to win. Because if you're starting to really dig into the depths of your pitching depth, and you know you're having guys like Joe Ross and Eric Fetty and Austin both all starting games at once, you're going to want a guy like Lester who can go out there and just give you innings every five days. So I think Lester really solves that need for them. We, we talked about hand. I think he's a great fit for that bullpen that really needed a left-hander now has a, a pretty formidable back four. Uh, and, you know, I think they're still probably going to need another infielder and a backup catcher. Those seem to be kind of the last two remaining holes on their roster before they go into spring training. I think that they would probably have priced themselves out of a, a more expensive third baseman, such as Justin Turner at this point, having signed Brad hand. So I would expect them to, go maybe for a guy like Tommy LaStella uh, or Marcus Semien at this point, if either of them are willing to play for, you know, five, six million. I think that could, you know, make a lot of sense. Somebody who could come in and push Carter Keyboom for playing time makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, you round that out with a backup catcher and they have a pretty complete roster, I'd say. 
you know, the, the National League East is going to be tough this year. The Braves have a look of a World Series contender. The, the Mets, obviously, with their deeper pockets and, and savvy owner, now have Francisco Lindor and James McCann. And, you know, they look like a, a force to be reckoned with. So it's going to be interesting. The Nationals probably are going to go into the season, pencil it in as the third best team in the division. But, you know, it's baseball and, and the games are played for a reason. So we'll see how it shakes out. Talking about catcher, um, I, I agree with you. I think um, obviously that's going to be one of the needs. Who do like? Who are you eyeing? Who do you um, really want on the team? Obviously, I think JT Realmuto is kind of out of the price range. Um, so you know, James McCann, I think would have been a great addition um, to the team, but obviously he's with New York. So what are your who? Are, what's your preference in terms of a backup catcher? Yeah, there aren't a ton of options out there right now. I think, you know, they're probably going to go with a veteran at this point. So someone like Tyler Flowers or Robinson Chirinos uh, makes a lot of sense. Alex Avila is out there. You know, none of those guys really push the needle in terms of offense. If they wanted to to take a chance, they could go for Wilson Ramos. Mm-hmm. Won't probably fetch too much uh, at this point. And, you know, if, if we get close enough to spring training and, He's still out there. He might be willing to settle for a one-year deal, uh, you know, could come on the cheap. So a guy like him could make sense. And, and of course, Yadier Molina's name has been tossed around uh, a few times. So, you know, we never know how that might work out. I, I don't think that you can really expect the catcher position to produce a ton of offense this year, no matter who they get. You know, you talk about Real Muto, another guy out there, Wilson Contreras is a trade candidate people have talked about. I don't think it's likely that they get Contreras or Real Muto. It's probably going to be a guy, you know, like I mentioned, Tyler Flowers, Torino, someone like that. Somebody who will, you know, just be able to spell Jan Gomes, who gives you, you know, an average bat for a catcher. Uh, And and that's, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're getting average production out of the the catcher spot, you're really not in too much worse shape than the rest of the league because only a handful of teams really get stud production out of the catcher spot anyway. So as long as you're getting, you know, Gomes' career norms, you're going to be doing all right out of the catcher spot. What are your feelings with all these one-year contracts? Um, I think I I read somewhere that it kind of like really shows – how you know where the where the team is kind of like thinking about like there's no long term deals there's no really big uh, big amount of deals you really think that like they're just kind of like let's just win, let's just win now mode and then like worry about like the rebuild a little bit later or whatever you want to call it um, after. Yeah, I mean it definitely leaves them with long term flexibility which for the Nationals is pretty important considering that they have some major contract decisions to make coming very soon. Max Scherzer only has one year left on his deal. He's going into his final season on that seven-year, $210 million contract he signed with the Nationals six years ago. Uh, And, of course, you have Trey Turner, who's two years from a free agency, and Juan Soto, who isn't a free agent for another four years, but will probably need to be locked up sooner rather than later. Uh, so, you know, with all these one year deals and, and Josh Bell signed for two years, you know, all these guys have acquired, you know, really will be gone within the next two seasons. That gives them that long term flexibility to be able to offer Trey Turner, Juan Soto, Max Scherzer, those types of contracts. It just kind of depends on where they think they are with the three of them. We haven't gotten much update on Soto. Turner has said he's interested in signing a long term deal if the price is right. So he's obviously going to be looking to make his worth. And I've written about this before, but it's really important for the Nationals that they sign him if they are going to extend him sooner rather than later because the shortstop market is about to explode. Right now, the highest paid 
uh, shortstop in all of baseball, Xander Bogarts, at $20 million. Uh, that is about to change significantly with guys like Francisco Lindor and Trevor Story and Javier Baez. Uh, the list goes on. There are so many shortstops that are going to be hitting free agency in the next couple of years, and, and Turner is one of them. And as soon as guys like Lindor and, and Story and Baez start to get major contracts, Carlos Correa is another name, as soon as those guys start to sign significant deals, they're going to be higher than Bogarts, and they're going to raise the price for them. So if the Nationals want to extend Turner, now is probably the time to do it because that price tag is going to jump. Similar to what we saw with Anthony Rendon a couple of years ago when Nolan Arenado signed his extension with the Rockies, he was looking for a contract in the $160 million range, about equivalent to what a Jose Altuve signed with the Astros. And then all of a sudden we see $260 million going Nolan Arenado's way. And Rendon's camp is like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I get compared to, Rendo- to Arenado all the time. I should be getting that kind of money. And ultimately he signs for $210 million as a free agent. So if the Nationals want Turner, they're probably going to have to go at him sooner rather than later, which, you know, is why they're probably leaving all of this extra financial flexibility you know, to make sure they have room to do those kinds of deals. Yeah, that's interesting thought. Out of all the current signings so far, which one were you like take most taken aback about? Uh, probably Hand. I just didn't expect them to go for a splashy name. You know, they they made a couple of big moves in the bullpen last offseason, getting Will Harris, getting Daniel Hudson. You know, two guys that giving them multi year deals, being in their late thirties. I didn't think that the Nationals really wanted to commit that kind of money to relievers, especially ones. On, on the high side of 30. So uh, for them to go dip back into that free agent pool and get Brad Hand, they must really be thinking they're getting a steal. You know, he was put on waivers after the Indians decided not to pay him his $10 million salary for this year. All they had to do was pay him $10 million, And then he cleared waivers. Not a single team claimed him off waivers to get him at that $10 million price for this upcoming year. Yet nobody claimed him. And then, of course, the Nationals signed him for $10.5 million, So he ends up getting just a little bit more than he would have gotten from the Indians. Uh, and the Nationals, you know, now seeing, oh, we should have claimed him way back when, um, you know, could have saved a little bit of money. But they obviously, you know, liked him. They, they wanted a left-hander, so the, the move makes sense. I just really didn't think that they'd go for a splashy signing. I was almost expecting Doolittle to come back or, you know, for them to go for uh, maybe a, a lesser-known name, uh, just somebody who they could slot in uh, in that bullpen and call it a day. Yeah, I think that was that's an interesting move. Um, I want to zoom out a little bit further um, about and talk a little bit about news from MLB today. Um, the Cactus League sent a, a letter or an email, whatever you want to call it, a PDF yeah. attachment to to Major League Baseball asking them to kind of delay spring training. Um, we haven't heard anything from the Grapefruit League. What are your what are what are your what are you hearing about um, spring training? I know that MLB said that they want to proceed and get you know everything started on time. So, kind of wanted to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't think that it's going to change a whole lot uh, just because the decision to postpone uh, spring training actually doesn't belong to the Cactus League. So, you know, with, with MLB, you know, working in conjunction with local government officials and, you know, them having sponsorship and TV deals tied to these games and rate and just so many moving parts for the Cactus League to send out a letter about a month before the season starts. Uh, it's not leaving them enough time to really make that decision. Now, 
they've had all off season to make that decision uh, to push things back. And so far they've been saying, you know, full steam ahead, we're going to try and do it. So uh, I don't see them pushing things back because, you know, they have that, that TV deal for postseason games in October with the TV, you know, media companies not wanting to change those. They want to lock in those dates, keep them exactly where they are. So MLB is also getting pressure from the players union to not, cut any games because if they do then the players union is going to demand to be paid for those games anyway uh so if there's a lot of moving parts here and as as nice of a thought as it might be for the cactus league and, and, and some valid points that it's making you know arizona being one of the biggest hot spots in the country right now for coronavirus what they're saying certainly makes sense and there's a plausible argument to push back spring training it's just we're talking about a multi-billion dollar business here and one that is really focused on recovering millions and millions and millions of dollars lost uh, in 2020 from lost gate receipts and, and having to shorten the season and, and everything that came with that. They lost a lot of money and they're looking to recoup as much of that as possible. So I don't see MLB really caving uh, for anything unless, you know, the pandemic really starts to pick up to the point where, you know, we're shutting down states again. Hmm. Do you, do you expect, um, fans to be in the stadium this year? Absolutely. You know, I don't think that every team is going to have it at the start of the year. Uh, but I would say that we can expect every team by the end of the season to have some kind of system in place for fans to attend. Uh, you know, we saw them, you know, these other sports football was doing it. Uh, the NBA, some stadiums have done it. Uh, I mean, I believe some NHL stadiums have also allowed fans in. So, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing other leagues starting to do it. MLB with 81 home games per team per year relies on ticket sales as much as any other sport, if not the most. Uh, so for them, the, the, there's so much incentive to have fans in the stadium that I absolutely expect them to do everything they can to try and make that happen, albeit in, in limited capacity. I can't wait to get myself in that dog. I'll be honest. I never thought I would ever say that out loud on radio or on podcast. <laughs> One of those pretzels, man, the curly W pretzels dipped in mustard up in the 300 sections taken in the stadium. You know, I, I miss that. I, it's, I can't believe uh, it's been this long uh, since I've been in a baseball stadium. I've never gone this long uh, without attending a sporting event. So th this has been very strange, uh, you know, and, and I'm definitely looking forward to the next chance I get to get in that stadium. So this is like totally a whack a whack question, but um, you know, All Star Game coming up, you know, if it happens, you know, usually the the two managers that managed in the World Series the previous year get to be the coaches uh, for the game. How do you think? How do you think MLB should handle that? I mean, I kind of feel Davey Martinez should get something, right? Like he deserves it. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, that's interesting. I. Haven't really thought about. It. I think you know they'll probably go with the the managers from last year and just kind of say tough luck, uh, you know, to the to the year before. I mean, if you really think about it, the MLB has no uh, motivation to to you know tribute those managers to the All Star Game because one of them's AJ Hinch, and you know, <laughs> he's coming off of a suspension for a year, and and they want to put the spotlight away from him as much as possible. So Davey probably gets the short end of the stick there just because of just profile man nationals fans always get the short end of the stick apparently <laughs> um, talking about it short end of the stick um you know also recent news the Masson deal um Masson issues happening um their streaming service they announced today 
Um, we're, just, we're recording this at 7.53 on a Monday night on January 25th. So p- for people that are you know, time-stamped, um, I just kind of want to get your feeling. Of, like you, you probably work with a lot of these people that are, you know, unfortunately getting laid off. Like what, like it makes, it must be like a very uncomfortable situation. Yeah, I've had the privilege to meet a few of those people over there. And it's definitely sad when anybody loses their job. So, you know, my thoughts and prayers go out to them and their families ahead of what's most likely going to be a difficult time. I can't imagine what it'd be like to, you know, be doing a job hunt in the middle of a pandemic. So, uh, you know, for them to, to be thrust into that situation, it really sucks. Um, you know, I, I, I want to see, uh, I love seeing the, the pre and post game shows. I've, I've always loved watching them. Uh, you know, they bring great analysis and it's unfortunate that, you know, Masson is able to unilaterally make that decision and, and not involve the Nationals, you know, considering that the Nationals are so, you know, involved and, and, and impacted by those decisions. And I'm, I'm really afraid for, you know, what that means for, you know, games in spring training. Apparently we might not get any, uh, which is unfortunate because I love watching spring training games, you know, gets me excited for the year. Uh, being able to watch from up here, you know, before the the, game, the real games start, that's definitely a treat. So um, if, if we don't get that, I'll be sad about it. But, you know, it, anytime, you know, people like that lose their jobs, such talented people, it, it's just really hard to see. So really, you know, my thoughts and prayers with them. Yeah, for sure. And then even now, it watching the games are so important because we're not able to, not a lot of people are going to be able to attend like a spring training game. Like this is going to be, the only TV is really going to be the only way that people can kind of um, start, you know, start to get in the baseball mood. Like, have you thought about, like, are you planning on going down to spring training? Have you, like, discussed this with yourself and your family? Yeah, I have not uh, made any decisions on that right now. I did go last year. I was actually, I was there uh, when everything got shut down. I went to the game right before it. So I have the, uh, one of the, the few privilege. Uh, of being able to have watched Steven Strasburg pitch in 2020. Uh, he pitched uh, the last game I was at, uh, which was March 12th. Um, so since then, uh, you know, nobody was able to really see Strasburg pitch. So I always thought uh, that was a cool uh, thing that I got to do. But, you know, I haven't made any decisions about this year. I'd love to get down there and, and catch some games. But, you know, it's kind of as we have throughout the entire pandemic, you know, taking things day to day, week to week, month to month, because you really have no idea what everything's going to look like, you know, in a, in a given amount of time. Are you look? Are you looking forward to being on the beat this year a little bit more than um, previous years? Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm I'm hoping to, you know, be as involved as possible and and get to as many games as I can. You know, God willing and. Uh, you know, the Nationals are a team that I've been writing about since high school. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in, in Northern Virginia. I was born and raised in the area. The Nationals moved to D.C. when I was eight years old, and I was rooting for them immediately. So they've always kind of been a part of my life. And, you know, as much uh, as I love being a fan, I think, you know, covering them on the media side gives you you know such a unique experience and, and look at the team, and I really enjoy it. So, you know, any way I can get involved, I'm, I'm excited to try and make that happen. Awesome. So talking about 2021, and then we'll uh, wrap up our conversation and maybe we'll have another episode soon with you. Um, which player are you most looking forward to seeing this year um, and and why? Yeah, I, you know, I go back and forth. There are a lot of different guys who I think, you know, could have very good years. I'm excited to see what kind of tweaks Victor Robles has made uh, at the plate. You know, I still think that he does have some potential 
to to be a good offensive player, somebody who you know if he can work on that plate discipline a little bit, uh, I, I think that he can be you know somebody who can make a big impact in this Nationals lineup and move up very quickly if if he shows he's capable. So definitely looking forward to see him uh, this year. But I think one player that, that not a lot of people are talking about that will surprise some people is Andrew Stevenson, uh, who's projected Ooh. to be their fourth outfielder this year. Now, if we have the DH, things might be a little bit different. But Andrew Stevenson, you know, former uh, LSU product, he was back when he was in the minor leagues, he was considered one of the top outfielders in the entire minor leagues. He's got a fantastic love, real great speed. Uh, I think that he's going to be, you know, a kind of the Michael A. Taylor type where we see him kind of come in in the later seventh, eighth and ninth innings for a guy like Kyle Schwarber and play some defense, you know, get a, a few at bats here and there. And if there's an injury, you know, he'll be the first one up uh, to get a chance to hit every day, which he hasn't had a chance at that at the major league level in some time. And he's hit pretty well in the minor league. So uh, I think that, you know, he's going to turn some heads this year. I'm not saying he's going to be a superstar or anything like that, but I do think that he could be a valuable major league contributor. And I'm excited to see, you know, what these years of being in the national system have done for him. Yeah. I'm looking forward to baseball in general to be back. I'm looking, I'm really, I'm really psyched. I'm getting ready. Um, Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Um, hopefully we can have you back on the podcast um, later on in the season or, whenever to, you know, really dive into actual baseball and talk about strategy and um, other stuff. Where can people find you on social media? Absolutely, man. Yeah, I'm on Twitter uh, at ByMattWyrick. Uh, you can follow me there where I post links to all my content and random nationals and baseball ramblings that come to mind. So check me out. Awesome. Thank you. And this will do it for this episode of In the Clubhouse. If you like this episode, please make sure to like, review, and rate this podcast on your favorite podcasting platform. And you can follow us on all the major social media channels at The Naps Report. <laughs>